0: Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This is What Do You Know About That, a radio show about anything and
1: everything happening in our community, our city, and our world. Here are your hosts, Eric Gershnow and Mary Angela Saavedra. All right ladies and gentlemen, it is that time for another episode of What do you know about that? Happy October, happy fall everyone. Hello Mary Angela. Hey Eric, how's it going? It's going well, and yourself?
2: Can't complain. It's been a it's been a good month. It's been a good fall so far. Yeah, I'm liking it. Things are falling. <laughs> yeah, the AIDS leaves are, are changing. It's true. It's true and shoot, this is like the the last Thursday of October. It's going to be November. Like in a minute.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how maybe it's just me getting older, but it, I feel like this season tends to fly by very quickly. Yeah. I like. Uh, once Halloween's over, up go the Christmas decorations, yeah. and then hey, it's New Year's. <laughs> right. Oh, what happened?
2: Yep. Yep. No kidding. No kidding. But can't complain. It's been beautiful. Been Excellent. some really nice weather. Yeah, I'm.
1: I'm, in, I'm digging the weather still. I'm. I'm a, a long sleeve shirt kind of fan. So. <laughs> Any opportunity to wear a sweater or a light jacket, I'm down with.
2: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Tell us what's going on this day in science.
1: Well, this day in science, October 27th, in 2015, engineers reveal world's first operational tractor beam. Ooh, this is cool. Hmm. I'm thinking Star Trek. Yeah. A group of engineers working from the universities of Bristol and Sussex in England revealed Sound-based tractor beam technology capable of moving small objects without physical contact. Using a series of miniaturized, high-powered speakers, the device proved capable of producing an acoustic hologram strong enough to manipulate multiple objects at once, as well as generating a sonic force field to levitate objects. That's pretty cool.
2: Wow. Wait, so... Okay, that can't be real. That that seems totally science fiction. Why, sound why does levitated object.
1: Science fiction.
2: Well, because, I mean, tractor beam and levitating objects with sound. That's some intense sound.
1: Well, I mean, sound is energy, right? I don't know if tractor beam may be the appropriate term, but being able to manipulate objects with sound—that sounds kind of cool. I certainly, I'm sure you've seen videos where. You can use sound waves that, based on the frequency of the sound wave, it will augment like a stream of water,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right, just because of the charges, because water's charged. Right. But then I also think about if you've seen the—and this is maybe diverging a little bit, but when you they put sand, say, on a conductive surface and they place a certain frequency— you know, it could be um, a high-frequency or low-frequency energy wave through the conductor field. The sand will orientate itself in a specific pattern that's relative to the frequency.
2: Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, but... Yeah, to know. levitate, uh, yeah, right I was like moving things around makes sense to me because I mean, I've sat in a car with a lot of bass, and I feel the bass pushing against me, right, so that's sound that makes sense, but yeah, but levitating, and I don't know, that just seems very yeah, science I mean, I me. could
1: see it, but I would think it would probably require a really large battery, yes, to power that,
2: yes, it is cool that we're moving in that direction, I guess.
1: Well, you know how important it is to have tractor beams in this world. (laughs) I certainly could benefit. I think about all the times I'm sitting down and want to get a glass of water and uh, maybe maybe not.
2: (laughs) Use the force.
1: That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what's going on in the neighborhood, Mary Angela?
2: Well, I have a couple things. One of them is a follow-up to something we talked about a couple episodes ago. Uh, Remember that building collapse that we talked about um, right,
1: where folks who were renting from the in that apartment space had to figure correct. out something on their own.
2: Uh, Lindley Towers. Well, the the saga is still continuing. The building has officially been uh, deemed unfit for inhabitation, so they cannot go back in there. And um, the I guess the company sent emails to the residents to say, you know, hey. Look, you can't go back in there right now. It's going to be a long time. We've got to, you know, fix this. It's not safe. You can't go in there. If you still have pets in the building, go get them. You you can go get them. Like we'll we'll set up a time. Here are the times when you can come and pick up your pets. So, so but exactly. Wait for it. Okay. So the person in this in the next door group posted. uh, So I got this email from them. I was unaware there were still pets in the building, so it means that people like left and left their pets because they thought they'd be back, you know, in a couple days. Yeah, exactly. And dead pets, or you know, yeah, pets that have are running feral in the building because I mean, who knows how secure things were? Um, They've
1: kind of built their own colony. They they
2: also have like an email address and a phone number where you can text the type of pets that you have and how many of them. And the city will try and go in and retrieve them if you can't be out there on the the appropriate day to get them. Um, And it is the person who is the managing attorney for um, this, I guess, company that owns this building. So... Yeah. And basically people, there's a lot of comments on this thread and people are like, yeah, probably this email came about two weeks too late for some pets without food, without water for that long. Like what in the world? Like were people just going back in to get their pets? Like this whole entire thing well, has been handled. what stopped people so... from
1: going back in there right now? Well, I
2: mean, yeah. I mean, nothing other than it says don't do it and you're taking your life's life in your own hands. And that's why people are saying, you know, I bet you some people who had you know pets they really cared about went back in and got them or you know tried or or something either way though this is just another example of like how this entire situation was handled so very poorly and that there is no there's nothing in place in the city to help protect people in this situation like this company was just basically able to do this and then yeah all these pets
1: you know (sighs) and and i is there any update like on the the thread about these folks leases and i mean i'm i'm assuming they're not paying into the space anymore are they I oh mean, no i'm sure they're not. not
2: no but well they're paying not into that space they're not paying for these places that they've placed them while they're working on fixing that place so i don't think it's full freight for whatever they were paying the other place i don't know it doesn't are they actively
1: repairing the damage or are you saying it's it's actually condemned
2: well right now they're investigating what needs to be done what definitely needs to be done is that nobody can go back in there. Something needs to be done. They have to either fix it or to decide to demolish it, and they haven't gotten that far yet. They're still in the process of well, assessing it, trying to rescue pets. Either way, pets. you're
1: talking over probably a year before anything's going to happen there.
2: Yeah. So it it's just a lot, but it's just another, another piece in this sort of ongoing saga. And so I thought I'd update And that was a week ago um, that that was mm-hmm. shared, that that email went out. I'll be paying attention, seeing, you know, what happens next, because I don't know what the next piece of the puzzle is there. I don't know what's happening next. Sure. But I just thought I'd I'd update on that. Um, and okay. then another thing is there is a new development or a new building, I should say, in Roxborough. And there <laughs> there was going to be an interview um, on the news. Uh, the residents were going to be uh, interview, interviewed by Channel 3 News. And that got postponed so that there could be an actual like meeting where people could talk about this building first before they like, like with the company that built it. So basically here's the story on Ridge Avenue around 5542 to 5544. um, There are several kind of double homes that are there, but there's also like an apartment building. There's, there's a lot of different types of housing in that area Mm -hmm. and someone bought a spot that I'm pretty sure housed, um, like a, you know, two, not a row home, but, a you know, a duplex um, previously. And they demolished the duplex and then took the space, kind of restructured it, and now have built up a, I guess you'd call it an apartment building. um, But it's pushed out further than the original facade of the home mm-hmm. uh, that was there previously. So it doesn't line up with the other things on the street. It now, like, projects out, which means it, you know, blocks... The home next to its view of the street. And it's right up against the wall of that home. So they had side windows that used to look at side windows of another home that was next to it. And now it looks onto this wall. It's very, very close. It's like the developers used every square foot they possibly could of the property they owned and built up and out around it, which just makes it beyond not being the right kind of architecture, which is fine. You can get past that new architecture in the midst of old architecture. We've got to realize that's a thing and that's okay. But it's more about this is now taking up a bigger footprint than the original did. Mm-hmm. And it's impacting the quality of the homes next to it and their view and their ability to sit on their front porch, you know, look well, out.
1: And it also impacts their property value.
2: Well, would that impact negatively? I mean, if, if, it's a, if it's a higher priced property, right, that would increase the value of the home. But they're... Their home now doesn't have a nice view. The well, porch yeah, is basically I mean, if useless. it's like
1: an eyesore to look at your front yeah. window as compared to before, then yeah, that does have an impact on the property value.
2: It says I'm trying to see if there was anything in the um, comments. It doesn't say what the breaking news story is. It says they just canceled. They canceled the interview because of a breaking news story, and then they also want people to come and sit and talk with the developers. About it, I guess maybe the developers wanted to get ahead of it so that they didn't go on the news and be like, you know, bashing them or something like I'm not sure.
1: But they've already the started to is. build it.
2: Oh, no, it's already there. That's the whole problem. Yeah, it's it, it's, it's a whole problem. So it just kind of takes that whole new development conversation we were having to a slightly different level you know like i said we can get used to having different architecture okay if it's going to better the neighborhood if it's going to make something more functional and i i appreciate wanting more housing i do appreciate that but i feel like
1: the concern is 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 having licensed contractors that are going through proper channels in order to build something and it's hard to imagine that again i don't know this particular case but Knowing that there are a lot of DIY contractors out there, I think that you have to be a little cautious Mm -hmm. and uh, watchful because a lot of these guys, again, don't go through the city. So it's really up to neighbors and folks in the community to speak up and address
2: it. Well, and it looks like that's what happened. So the building's not completely done. It looks like it's got the, the basic frame and shell up. That's where they can see where it's being built out to and they're like, whoa, 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 hold on. Yeah. Like, stop it. What are you doing? (laughs) This is not what we agreed to. So yeah, it's just it's it's another part in the conversation. Right now, this particular post has about sixty comments on it. It's a lot of people who are upset particularly about Roxborough, because they are taking down a lot of the doubles in the row homes, just knocking out chunks of them and putting in apartment buildings. And I know that's what they were going to try and do on our street, right? At the end of our street, they were going to try and put an apartment building. No way. And all the residents petitioned. And and luckily, we found out about that enough ahead of it, right, before it was, like, zoned okay for that. And the city was like, yeah, no, we can't.
1: Right. So this is probably a case where they were zoned to, yeah. but there are some specific details that probably didn't get communicated properly yeah. or something or about how
2: big they were you know i just feel like architects can can look in there and see if you're going to build out in front of somebody's house and you're going to really impact their home like think think better. yeah
1: it'd it. be nice to see folks more folks coming in to renovate rather than Build from the ground up, but I understand it's probably a lot cheaper in many cases.
2: Leveling the house sometimes has to do with the fact that a lot of these homes have old, you know, knob and tube wiring, and you can't well, have that stuff anymore. You can
1: replace, but when it's in issues with the foundation, yeah. then it it becomes way more expensive to try and restore it. Yeah. I totally get that.
2: And if you're restoring it for a single family, as opposed to taking the space and turning it into five apartments, yeah, you know, or six apartments in some cases, like.
1: It makes me want to go down the the rabbit hole of of um, applying for mortgages and in this new economy with with the inflation, but that's a topic for another day. It
2: is. It, it is. is. So that's well, all I had in the neighborhood. Do you have anything? Well, that right the on? only
1: thing I just wanted to highlight, you know, in the neighborhood because it is Halloween season,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and
1: if folks want to get a good scare, I highly recommend heading down to Eastern State Penitentiary. So it's on. The Thursday through through the weekend, right?
2: Now that it's getting closer to Halloween, I think it's doing like every night. Yeah, maybe even Tuesday through Sunday. It's it's and it's you called... have to look on their website. It's Halloween nights. It is no longer Terror Behind the Walls, right? Which is awesome that they don't do Terror Behind the Walls. And we'll talk about a little bit about that in our main topic today. So I'm not going to get too much into it, but I'll tell you why they don't call it Terror yep. Behind the Walls anymore. But,
1: but we um, we 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 checked it out earlier this month, and it's pretty cool. It was fun. And, uh, you know, as someone who was a horror movie enthusiast as a child, it was entertaining for me. It wasn't scary, but, uh, it was, they, they put a lot of effort into this for sure. And I think it's, it's worthwhile because the money goes to prison reform.
2: It does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's also something for everyone. So you don't have to be into haunted houses to go if you've got younger children. Um, and by younger, I don't mean like little children, but like, you know, younger children who don't want to go through a scary haunt. That's OK. S'mores and yeah. lore. You can have a s'more and listen to some stories. Somebody, they, you know, people live perform stories. There's dancing skeletons. Yeah. Which they really actually fun. have like a dance, like a dance, troupe, a dance troupe that troupe. wear
1: skeleton outfits and they uh, they have a whole stage. It's kind of cool. Like a dance, and There's like the there's... little speakeasy.
2: There's, you know, other – there's uh, flashlight tours if you want to do, like, a historic tour. They've, they've really done a lot just to, to get away from that whole, like, this is just a scream fest, which is what it used to be for decades. So it's nice. And if you're looking for something fun, also, throughout the neighborhood, just drive through the neighborhood right now. People are really up in their Halloween decoration games in most of the areas that, you know, most of the streets that I've passed around here. Not now there's just, a
1: lot on our street. I'm yeah. I'm waiting to see – um, what uh, front yard decorations get swapped out with different ones from people in the neighborhood.
2: <laughs> it's true. We, we know, we talked about that last year, how that happens. So but there are a lot of pumpkins and scarecrows and fun things happening. So it's it's nice to see. I'll be interested to see what trick-or-treating looks like in this neighborhood this year. It's been relatively quiet in years past, but mm-hmm.
1: um, well, I, w- it's but on I a don't know. Monday is Halloween. I wonder if they'll do trick-or-treating on Sunday.
2: No, they usually, in Philly, they usually do it on the day. It doesn't matter. We used to have a, an annual Halloween party because c- um, our son did not like to trick or treat, which is crazy, but he didn't. And so instead we would have a Halloween party so that he could hang out and wear a costume and then his friends could go trick or treating and then come over to the house and hang out afterwards at a Halloween party. But that was always on whatever weekday it was. Mm-hmm. And I think the Henry School, um, which is over in West Mount Airy, they still do their annual the Halloween holiday, parade. Halloween right? parade. Yep. That goes around the school.
1: And just to follow up uh, from our last show... Because I made mention about the slow down signs, mm-hmm. about there being Germantown themed ones, and, and and ironically enough, right right after we did that show, we started seeing all the slow down Germantown signs popping up everywhere.
2: So I've seen them actually, and and in other areas too. So it, it looks like it's kind of a citywide thing that's starting to happen where yeah. people are saying. And and when we were in the suburbs, right? We went to the suburbs this weekend, and we saw them yep. in a, in a suburb neighborhood, um, which is what, like Wincoat or. Elkitz Park, something over there. Yeah. Um, and it was the same thing. So clearly it is on the forefront of people's minds, which I think is awesome. And yes, I was very pleased to see Slow Down Germantown. I don't have to go take a Sharpie to any Mount Airy signs now. But um, now that there are Germantown ones, I'm going to maybe replace the ones that are across the Germantown-Mount oh, Airy line and be like, you take your Mount Airy signs back to Mount Airy. Let us have our Germantown ones. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm going to police the signs. <laughs> it's going to be me. Well, good luck.
1: <laughs> All right. So this week, it is your turn for the main topic. So what are we talking about Today,
2: well, I thought because we are so very close to Halloween that I would talk about some historically haunted places uh, surrounding Philadelphia. Yay! I love some some spooky things. Spooky things. Um, Because recently, I listened to a reading from a book called "Haunted History of Philadelphia," and. What I found really interesting is that book very much takes the historical stance, right? It's haunted history. It's like, here's the history behind this situation and why people have said this, this, and this. They've seen this and this. And that intrigues me more than being like, this house is haunted. You know what I mean? Or like Ghost Hunters, those shows where people watch and, and go to, to different places. Lame. And, right, yeah. Or I'm, I'm never really into those. But history, I can get down with some history. So I thought I would see how many of these um, historically – his uh, haunted spots in Philadelphia, you knew about, what you knew about them. Oh,
1: probably not much. Um, yeah. This will be fun. This will be a learning experience.
2: Yes. So let's start first with uh, the Academy of Music Theater, my favorite. Oh. So you've been in the Academy of Music, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Very, very old building.
2: Yeah. What's your sense when you get in there?
1: Oh, there definitely is um, this this feeling of history, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, there's a lot of elements i think there that are still from perhaps when it was originally founded i'm trying to think off the top of my head just a lot of the decor mm-hmm. the the design of the room itself you know the balconies all of that really rings from a, an era that most of the architecture say from our neighborhood um feels derivative of you know much much older time period for sure
2: yeah but- it is definitely historic building and the architecture is stunning, and I always get a sense of... of It being so old, like from the smell, from the look of the curtains, from old wood, right. The lighting in there, it's, you know, it has this sort of dim, even though it's like super well lit, it has this very, you know, old world lighting. They have the, um, the The owls are
1: made for small people. Exactly. (laughs) The seats are very
2: small. It's true. It's true. And outside, um, they have the gas, uh, light lamps, lamps. right. But it is historically haunted. And there have been a lot of reports of very different things um, inside. One of the most interesting that I always uh, find fascinating, particularly about theater, is voices, right? Because people are always talking about you can hear voices in theaters and mm-hmm. sound really travels in theaters. And the Academy of music is no different. It says that the Academy is supposedly haunted by phantom voices, not to the level of falling chandeliers. That's a a uh, throwback to um, Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> so it's not like that. But sometimes you can hear whispering or sounds or chatter where then, then there's nobody around that corner and you're like, what's, yeah. what's that about? Um, and if you sit in one of the seats up top, which that would be like the family circle or the amphitheater, the top two levels, it is said that uh, sometimes you can feel um, what they call phantom hair pulling. Sometimes you'll get your, your hair pulled or oh, like... Wow. Or like you'll feel a little something on the back of your neck mm. and then you'll turn around and there's like nothing there. Or some people have said they're sitting there and they'll look next to them in the seat next to them. The fabric on the seat is rumpled like someone is Someone's sitting there sitting in it. Right. But no one is sitting in it. Ooh. So, um, yeah, that's just just a couple things people have said from there. I myself, just because I I tend to to always feel like old theaters are just haunted by the ghosts of actors past um, but the first time I ever went up into the amphitheater I did feel a little bit uncomfortable and I couldn't explain why and I thought it was the height but I wasn't anywhere near the edge like I hadn't gone over to the edge of the railing which is usually where I get real like dizzy and like oh no I'm gonna fall so um, I can't really explain it but you know I'll say so the question probably. is
1: do you think it's haunted by ghosts of really good actors or really poor actors
2: yeah <laughs> Who knows? The the ones who don't know when to take their final bow. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Like, come on. um, You've overstayed your welcome here. (laughs) I know how much you love the theater, but you're gone.
2: Yeah. So the next place I want to talk about is actually closer to home. And I had never heard of this until I started doing research about this. But um, you're familiar with the Street Allen Lane, right? Allen Lane, right? But it, Allen's Lane cuts, you know, sort of straight through the neighborhood. It's kind of a big one. It ends in like Carpenter's Woods and it, you know, goes right up to Fairmont and, and it's, a, it's a whole thing. And I'm not sure how far into the east it goes, but I think it does go considerably. Well, supposedly, some say on foggy nights, a headless horseman from the Revolutionary War rides around on this street after dark, carrying around his own head. It doesn't get any more quintessentially American than that. So I'm like, I had, Wait a
1: minute. Isn't this Sleepy Hollow?
2: Sure. But I had never heard of that. Supposedly there's a headless horseman on Allen's Lane that people have seen. And,
1: okay, okay. So that begs the question, who is the headless horseman then?
2: Yeah. Mm.
1: What what's up with American folktales and headless horsemen?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. We can thank whatever what was his name that wrote the story? But, I'm sure that it's probably folded in. I'm sure somebody probably sees a specter of a soldier on a horse, right. and over the years, it's gotten converted into something like that. Instead, well,
1: now I want to camp out on, Allen's <laughs> on Lane. on Allen's Lane and see and keep an eye out. Sure,
2: yeah. Well, they
1: say Halloween night is when the window between the spirit world
2: mm-hmm. and the
1: physical world kind of open. So, yeah, perhaps that's when we should time it. it has to be like like really late at night when it's all dark. Yeah. I think that's the formula for for a good horror movie, right? (laughs) Right.
2: So what do you know about the Balleroy Mansion in Chestnut Hill?
1: I know absolutely nothing about the Balleroy Mansion. Please do tell.
2: So the Balleroy Mansion is in Chestnut Hill. And this is actually something that I just learned about myself. So it says the Balleroy Mansion is a 32-room estate located in the historic and affluent Chestnut Hill section of Philadelphia, Um, It has obtained the title of most haunted home in America due to its alleged infestation of spirits, ghosts, angels, and other supernatural beings. So, um, yeah, but finding out where it is, like the actual address, is a little more challenging.
1: Okay, so built in 1911, the stone house located at 111 West Mermaid Lane.
2: There we go. Thank you. Yep. Yep. So one eleven West Mermaid Lane. Oh, okay. Well then, yeah. I think I know where that is. Um That would sit up on top of the hill, right? That's the house that looks down. When you're at the bottom of the hill, it's the house that looks down on onto the the apex there at the where you where you start going up into Chestnut Hill.
1: So one eleven Mermaid Lane sits behind Germantown Avenue. It's. Basically, if you were to go to where the CVS is mm-hmm. on Germantown Avenue at the bottom of the hill and then turn right at on Mermaid Lane and go back a little bit. So it's sort of um, tucked away off of it's, – it's, it's near – it's on Mermaid Lane, but it's near like Navajo Street, which uh, okay. intersects Cresham Valley. Yep. So it's back behind Germantown Avenue at the bottom of the hill.
2: Okay. Yeah, I want to peek by there sometime and check it out.
1: Um, Let's go camp out there on Halloween and then go to Allen's Lane afterwards.
2: (laughs) Right. See if we can see two at once. So so
1: tell me about the Balleroy Mansion. Yes.
2: So here it says that, uh, curiously, people have said they've seen the ghost of Thomas Jefferson They've seen other glosts, including former inhabitants of the house. Phantom cars driving toward the house have reportedly been spotted, and there's a 200-year-old chair inside of it where they basically everyone no one wants to sit in it (laughs) because they're all like convinced that if you sit in it, bad things will happen to you. That's like the legend, Um, Mm. but I mean, it's just a 200-year-old chair that happens to be there. Like the seat will fall out in the chair, right? Or (laughs) who knows? Um, But what I find interesting is that it's you know a lot of of historic people they say they've seen there which i'm you know kind of So thomas like,
1: jefferson would he have been known to have frequented this mansion
2: i'm not Why sure would how his
1: ghost be showing up at the balleroy mansion not
2: in 1911 yeah yeah i don't know huh it, it doesn't say it didn't it didn't go that far into it i apologize
1: yeah i'm wondering where the the connection is Maybe he was like, "Hey, oh, this is the cool new haunt. Maybe I should be hanging out here." (laughs) Or maybe he's a Virginian, right? Or or maybe
2: just someone sees someone who looks like, perhaps,
1: look like Thomas Jefferson.
2: Or perhaps it's the land, right? Maybe there was something on the land before the mansion was built. So Mm,
1: maybe a pet cemetery.
2: Well, or kidding. You know, maybe there was I don't know something during the Revolutionary War where people traveled through there, or maybe there had been an inn. I'm not really sure,
1: but. There, there's no specific history to, say, the owners of the home that would connect it to the hauntings.
2: No, I mean, they do say that sometimes people see people, you know, they think uh, live there. So basically it says, um, you know, they they see people who were supposedly residents of the home earlier. That's one thing that they talk about. George Meade Easley allegedly first experienced paranormal activity shortly after moving into Balleroy Mansion oh. for the death of his playful younger brother, Stephen. And so some people say they they see this playful younger brother um, who's there. So there's there's kind of a lot, I think.
1: So it sounds like probably the location, perhaps. Yeah. And building on it like, you know, a little, a little poltergeist action going on there.
2: Yep. They, they say there's also um, an elderly woman who reportedly walks the upstays, upstairs hallway with a cane, family members and guests were toyed with by the spirits and it was never uncommon to hear knocking and unexplained footsteps. So, you know, I feel like if the house was built in the 1911 and then people moved in and started experiencing things, it's gotta be something with the land. It's it's gotta be something.
1: What else is on your list here? So
2: then of course I have, as I mentioned um, a few minutes ago, I have Eastern state penitentiary. It wasn't a particularly, happy place. So it makes it makes sense. Also, there was a lot of negative energy there, which also um, makes sense. But one of the things I found uh, pretty interesting about what people talk about is that it's basically a lot of sounds and shadowy figures throughout the cell blocks, which the whole place, because of the way it's kept oh, it's right got now, a huge creep factor. It, right. And it, and it just sort of lends itself to that. So a lot of ghost hunter shows and stuff have been in Eastern State, you know, I trying see to, like, to, to see things. And so it's... for
1: listeners who have not experienced Eastern State Penitentiary, the layout of the prison is very unique. Unlike most modern prisons that are boxed, It's actually a star, so there's a center point where the guards would sit, and then there are hallways that stem off this center point. And the extension, the hallways, are obviously where the prisoners were housed. There's two floors. Originally, it was a single-floor plan, and the prisoners on the main floor, on the main level, had access to an enclosed Space outside, so they weren't allowed to engage socially with other prisoners. The idea was that Pennsylvania, being a Quaker state, the mentality was applied to prisoners, thinking that these people need more time, more solitary time to contemplate and reflect. Well, it turns out that true solitary confinement makes you go crazy. Yeah. And that's what they saw happen. But the layout of the prison obviously didn't change, so you had these really small prison cells. And when we were going through there, and you pointed out, the entrance to each individual cell has two doors, so the actual doorway is about like two about two feet thick. Mm-hmm. So there's an exterior door and interior door, um, and again, that's all part of helping to create this isolation element. And then they built the second floor on top. And the second floor prisoners obviously, as you can imagine, didn't have access to outside. They just had a tiny little hole in near the ceiling where light would come in. It's uh it's pretty depressing.
3: And yeah. to walk
1: into that space now and to see all the decay around it, I can only imagine. I mean, we doing some of the haunted house walks through the prison. Yeah, big creep factor.
2: Sure. And that's one of the reasons why they steered clear of it being terror behind the walls, because the history of the place isn't great. You know, it was early in the penitentiary system of America. We didn't really understand how to treat criminals. It was one of the first penitentiaries in the country Mm -hmm. and mistakes were made. And so then it was like, yeah, we don't want to, like, hype up. This is terrifying because the truth is, is that what they... It's a
1: little exploiting of the prisoners that, you know... Right. And
2: their memory... And also, the work that Eastern State does—it is a historic landmark that is preserved, and they do a lot of work for prison reform. They raise yeah. a lot of money for that, and that's what the money was going toward. That's what the mm-hmm. money does go toward. So it's like we want you to have this fun, you know, Halloween experience in a historic spot, but the truth is, is that we also want to be very respectful, respectful yeah, of you know what doubt. happened. So I, I completely commend them for that. I think,
1: mm-hmm. I
2: think that was the smartest move they ever made, and I, I love the. The new Halloween nights. I think it's, I think it's really great. Um, before we run out of time, just a couple other places worth mentioning. Do you yeah. know where Elfrith's Alley is in Old City? Where? Elfrith's Alley. No. We've walked by it. It is basically, I think it's just off 2nd Street, but it's basically one of those little alley streets that goes kind of sideways, and you look okay. down it, and it looks super historic. It's really narrow. It is, exactly. It's the nation's oldest continually inhabited residential street. In yeah. the country, and it's housed more than 3,000 people in over 300 years. Wow. Which is pretty crazy. So you can imagine there are plenty of former residents who still hang around on the tiny street. One legend says that a Revolutionary War spy was hanged in Elfrith's Alley, and his ghost lingers to this day. That so, I understand. That was interesting. Um, in Marion, there is the General Wayne Inn. What happened to this one is surprising to me. So it's a Marion. This Marion building once investigated by Unsolved Mysteries uh, has a creepy history that started in 1704 and goes all the way to 1996 when the co-owner of it murdered his business partner there in the office. And then soon after the killer's girlfriend slash employee committed suicide after someone attempts to revive the space. Uh, As a longstanding restaurant and inn, they were like, we we can't take it back to what it used to be. Mm -hmm. So it is now maintained as a Jewish center. Mm. Yes. And a pretty successful one, actually. So I found that really very interesting repurposing of a historic building with some kind of like, you know, not great past sort of being taken over. By faith, it says the ghosts of Edgar Allan Poe, who frequented the inn during his life, and Hessian soldiers allegedly still haunt the space. Mm. So, and then there is, of course, Grumblethorpe right down the street. The Germantown estate, built in 1744, was home to the Worcester family until they were pushed out by the British during the Battle of Germantown. And one of the British generals, James Agnew, bled out on the floor of the estate, and his bloodstains can still be seen to this day in Grumblethorpe. So, of course, his ghost is said to haunt the grounds. Yep. The home is also served as the Worcester family's hideaway during the yellow fever epidemic, and the grounds are said to be haunted by a housemaid named Justina. So
1: Ooh. So if you keep wanna, an eye out.
2: If you want to check out a place a little bit closer to home. So those are the ones um, on my list. There's a lot more. Washington Square downtown. There's Powell House and Society Hill. So, uh, And then the boat in uh, Penn's Landing. Do you know the name of that boat? No. Mashulu. I'm probably saying it wrong, or Mos- Mosulu. It's M-O-S-H-U-L-U like is the name of it. Huh. Um, it's a restaurant and a party space, but throughout her more then 100-year lifespan the tall ship was used for shipping and was named the fastest cargo ship in the world it was pillaged by nazis a lantern ghost reportedly relights the lanterns on tables at night and a whispering ghost tells hushed secrets during the early evening mm. you can hear whispering if you sit on the boat so I don't know what kind of secrets yeah i don't know but if you ever want to go don't eat the clam chowder <laughs> it's not in season yeah <laughs> so those are just some some fun things I thought to talk about for the Halloween season. If you want like spooky places and you want to check out some haunted history, those are some places you can go see. Of course, there are ghost tours downtown you can take all year round. So you know, oh totally,
1: it's, yeah, it's, no, Philadelphia is. We're the in greatest. an old city. <laughs> there's a lot of history. There's a lot of. I'm sure there's a lot, a lot of, of great ghost stories, and yeah. that's what I, we should keep an eye out for. If anyone knows of any haunts like guided tours walks through the city please let us know because we'd love mm-hmm. to check them out we did not too long ago i think it was like two or three years ago we did a walk in um chesapeake right there there we did a haunted tour
2: yes mm-hmm. that um, was really
1: cool and it was like we we did a little bar hopping i think we like it was
2: annapolis actually it yes was that's maryland right. yeah it was annapolis maryland yeah yeah, no, those are super fun and I know they I know they exist throughout the city. And it's so. opportunity
1: to go drinking, too. So, everyone <laughs> loves that.
2: Who doesn't? Either way, however you decide to spend Halloween, please have a happy and healthy Halloween season. And safe one. Absolutely.
1: All right, well we have a very special guest lined up for you this afternoon for who are the musicians in your neighborhood. So, stick around. You're listening to 92.9 FM G-Town Radio. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, welcome back to What Do You Know About That? It's time for our favorite segment, Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? And we're actually expanding the net here a little bit and dipping into our... Other neighborhoods. Of, yeah, other neighborhoods. Other so neighborhoods. So I have the pleasure of introducing, actually, a good friend of ours, a uh, really special musician, entertainer by the name of Billy Thompson. Welcome, Billy, to Welcome. the show.
2: Welcome.
0: Great to see you guys again. It's been a long time. No doubt, <laughs> it
2: has. It has. Thanks for being with us. Oh um, yeah,
0: thanks for having me.
2: Let's start by you telling us a little bit about your your musical background. Where Where are you from? You a very H- special, how did you unique get background. into music, all that good stuff. Yeah.
0: Well, okay. Um, start off, army brat, uh, born in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Uh, preschool, first grade, uh, Louisiana, uh, Fort Polk, and then on uh, westward, slowly but surely, um, by age 15 uh, in San Diego, where I lived for the longest time and, you know, most of my life, and uh, graduated high school and and, um, started playing music there. I picked up a tour in 1991 with Larry Arkansas Davis, and that led me to... um, meeting and eventually playing with uh little milton also i i uh, backed albert king got to shoot the breeze with albert king having mm. asked me my business card uh, about wet my pants <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and you know so it never happened but you know I, I was able to uh play with him um, a bit and then uh of course he was he was up in years so it just never happened and i lived in san diego and he lived in memphis but um Shoot. Other than that, uh, I did the grand opening of the House of Blues in Los Angeles with Little Milton in 1993. And the opening act for us was Jimmy Rogers. And Jimmy Rogers, the great Chicago Jimmy Rogers, not mm. the uh, not Honeycomb Jimmy Rogers, but walking by myself. I hope you understand You know, that guy. And uh, so it was really cool. Um, shoot. I don't know. I've backed a few other characters, but that, you know I've been on stage with the Doobie Brothers as a guest because um, Pat Simmons liked an album I did in uh, 2010, um, which I recorded with the the A-team in Los Angeles. The A-team consisted at that time of, uh, and still, Tony Bronicle on drums, who produced uh, this album in 2010. Uh, Hutch Hutchinson on bass, who plays regularly with Bonnie Raitt. And has for years. Uh, also, uh, had Kenny Gradney, one of my favorite bass players from Little Feet, uh, play on a few tunes. And uh, then we had the great Mike Finnegan, uh, RIP, who just played with everybody. He was like probably the baddest white blues dude on the planet or maybe the universe, but he's no longer with us. And sadly, but great tracks, great uh, learning experience, great folks all. I know I left somebody out. Oh, I had the Cali Horns, which was um, those guys have played on so many albums. I I can't. It's Joseph Lett and Daryl Leonard. If you look those guys up. I know the last Leon Russell with uh, Elton John, Daryl Leonard was arranging a lot of those tunes. So, yeah, no hacks on that album. And I actually recorded a tune, uh, which I co-wrote with my partner, Kirsten. And uh, I I know, uh, if I remember correctly, I played it at you guys' wedding.
2: (laughs) I I think you might have. (laughs) Yes, indeed.
1: Well, before we get to that, and that's the tune that we're going to be featuring today on the show. Mm -hmm. Before we get to that, let's back up a little bit, because you mentioned some pretty prominent names, and primarily in the blues industry, if folks are familiar. Well,
0: Finnegan did play with uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. But and you know, of course Eddie James was his the big longest running account. He also played with Bonnie Rate. Gosh, I can't remember
1: how long. But yeah, mainly mainly blues folk. Right. And you were backing up a lot of people, but then you've also had a pretty long career as a solo artist.
0: True. You know,
1: it's uh yeah, I, I found myself when I
0: moved east, I really never played when you say solo. Uh, I I usually would play with a band and uh so the gigs were i was less known and these duo and solo potential slots came up and i said well okay i'll, I'll learn how to play alone and uh so i've done a lot of solo work since moving here what 17 years ago back back to uh, the east coast yeah the east coast just outside well i, I lived in uh, Virginia Beach for about a year and a half. Then I moved to uh, West Virginia outside of D.C. about an hour 45. And I'm still in that area. Yep. I'm actually in Virginia now, though.
2: So oh. te- Technically in Virginia. Gotcha.
0: The thriving uh, metropolis of Winchester, Virginia. Oh, I know where <laughs> yes. Winchester
2: is. Shenandoah <laughs> University's out there. Like, yeah. yeah. That's
0: where my partner teaches there. So that's yeah. that's why we're here. That that's a that's
2: a great university.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's cool. And you know now, um, you know not to blow my horn, but I've been doing these gigs with the head of jazz studies, the head of Pro Tools recording. the The head of jazz studies is this killer trombone player named Matt Neese. He was with the Army uh, Pershings own for thirty years, and he's like one of the baddest bone players I've ever heard. Wow. So we did, uh, recently did a gig where um, we had five horns, like a tower power horn section. Mm. And I had the, the head of Pro Tools plays bass with my group, and an, another one of his colleagues plays keys. Um, so, it, you know, great band. and We played here locally and, and just killed it. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, you know, great, great. It's a conservatory.
2: It mm. is, right. Yeah, I was going to say Shenandoah University, for those of you who don't know, is, uh, is a, a very big... <laughs> Um, art school and it is it is a conservatory you you really do get a very unique and specialized kind of music and arts education there
0: right a lot of theater yes yeah you might find one too many country bars but you know there there are there are those other folks like me (laughs)
1: lurking looking to change it all (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if you're lurking. No, I, I guess what I meant by solo artist, meaning that not just by yourself, but promoting your music, playing with a band even, but just having your own production where you're not you know, a, backing up another artist. You have your own music. You have your own catalog of songs that you've written and recorded that you actively play out. Yes. With. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I was going to speak to that as well, but um, uh, and I I thought you were kind of going there, but I did want to touch on playing solo. I'd never really done that before before I moved here, mm-hmm. but um, which actually led me uh, to being a musical director for a play based on the life of Sun House.
1: Yes, let's so, talk
0: about that a little
1: bit. Tell me okay. when because that came about just within the past decade.
0: Yeah, we started uh, doing the workshops in twenty fifteen. I'd fly to New York, or take the train, and um, and then we'd um, do readings, and they'd, you know how the how it works, you know they go, yeah, we got to cut that, we got to develop this, develop this character. I don't like where this is going. Um, well, and how did we, you get pulled into it? Well, I I, I took a gig in San Diego, um, and it uh, was uh, thunder knocking on the door and thunder was written by keith glover who also wrote these these other plays i got involved with the one uh based on sun house was the third play the, the other one was uh the rose of corazon which is this is kind of how i ended up in this area but uh, i can explain that uh shortly but um, in uh 2000 well it was late one uh 1999 um i picked up the show at the old globe in San Diego, pretty f- famous uh, theater. And, uh, as far as, um, you know, San Diego area and, and, you know, most troops traveling, they'd be putting their show up at the old globe or, um, um, La Jolla playhouse or the Lyceum, which may be gone by now. But, um, and I said, man, there's no blues in theater. They kept calling my house, you know, calling, I go, man, I'm not answering this call. And, uh, so finally, they had replaced the drummer with a friend of mine, Art Rodriguez, who was really good friends with Robin Ford. Robin had given him like a 52 or 53 Telecaster because they were, you know, old longtime buds and Art was playing drums. Uh, He's no longer with us either. He's passed a good while ago, but uh, he says, Hey man, you know, Keb Moe is here and this playwright, and they really want you to come down and and play. You know, they, they, they need real blues guitar players. I go, well, You know, okay. I know, you know, I don't I never really considered myself just a blues guitar player, but but definitely steeped in it and blues based. So um, I knew all the icons. I said, okay, I'll I'll go check this out. So a buddy of mine and I went, they took the uh, two guitar players who were great readers, jazz players. They took their their amps. They set them out on the uh, outside of the little box. You, You play in a wooden sort of box at the Old Globe. And there's a scrim where you can see, you know, the actors They can't see in, but you can see out. But, um, anyway, they set their stuff out on the out of uh, the box. They move our stuff in. We started playing the tunes, just winging them because I couldn't read so I could see the, the bar marks and all but uh, we knew what the feel of the music was. So I'd play some fills and then they'd play in different, different style. It'd be more like a BB King. I go, okay, I know what that is. Okay. Albert King. Okay. I know what that is. Okay. John Lee Hooker. I know what that is. And we play the fills. So they go, okay, you guys are playing the show tonight. Well, what? <laughs> so that's how I started, man. I was like just cold. Right. Um, and so the guy called me back. I, you know, I did the run. I ran out of the road with them. You know, I can't remember how many cities we did. But uh, and then the play fizzled, and uh, they uh, re they got it going again in two in yeah two thousand, and then we went went back into New York with Leslie Uggams as the uh, the lead, and she's like pretty famous Broadway actor, and um, you know it didn't do well, so that was the end of that. But I was on a list, so then I ended up on you know, another play called Ain't Nothing But the Blues, which came off Broadway. And um, it was the biggest bunch of dysfunctionals I'd ever worked with.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, the theater.
0: Yeah, yeah ah, the theater. indeed. Yeah. A lot of people really they didn't really like each other very much. But whereas <laughs> Thunder, Thunder, I said, "Oh, this is cool, man! All these people are really cool, really talented, and they they dig each other, you know." But this the second play I took was like, "Oh man, this is like night and day." Yeah. So I get out of this thing anyway. I ended up doing it a couple more times, and finally the the uh, um, revival the resurrection of uh sun house was done at jiva theater in uh, 2019 and um you know it didn't move on and COVID hit and you know there might be some talk of it happening again but it's pretty cool you know and, and reverent f- uh to sun's uh his artistry and his uh, extremely uh, kind of wild and crazy life really mm-hmm. i learned a lot
3: yeah.
2: yeah
0: very cool i'm glad i
2: know
0: so yeah as far as you know being an artist beyond the theater um i can't remember how many albums i've got i think maybe eight you know one is like in a short christmas maybe four tune christmas thing and um um you know most of the tunes on the albums are original i'll co-write with my partner kirsten who again co-wrote the tune i played at your wedding Mm -hmm. and um uh, she's a, a great poet and, uh, um, uh, teaches again, speech for the actor at Shenandoah Conservatory. Nice. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I'm, I've got like about 25 tunes I haven't recorded right now and, um, hadn't really felt too much like recording until recently.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, now I'm getting back in the saddle. So yeah, see what. She- so tell us a little bit about this this tune in particular. And that, that by the way, for our listeners, the name of the tune is called Born Again, which you, as you mentioned, co-wrote with Kristen. And it was inspired, correct, by Kristen.
0: Yeah, it was, um, you know, we, we were at a place where we didn't know whether we were going to make it, you know, or not. When we were first uh, starting out, it was kind of a uh, long distance. Uh, I lived in Virginia beach and she was up here and, and I was taking care of my mom who was in her nineties. And, um, you know, we just kind of wondered, you know, can we make this go? And, and she started writing this lyric, you know, and sure enough, we're, we were born again and, uh, um, still, still rocking. So, um, you know, it was nice to, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, recording it with, uh, with Bronigal and, and, um, uh, with, uh, Hutch and, and with, um, um, Mike Finnegan was really the perfect treatment for a tune like that. Uh, it's got some R and B in it. And,
1: oh, um, heavy, heavy, big time, but I would say almost gospel. Yeah. Gospel feel.
0: Right. I don't know. Sometimes stuff just comes out, you know, I mean, I. I've learned more about gospel when I did the, um, the play about Sun House than I knew when I, I pinned the tune. Wow. So, but yeah, that's, that's going back a ways. Mm-hmm. Shall we take a listen?
2: Yeah, let's take a listen.
3: In my heart I saw is saved again What yeah. we within any name, no sin no no, no, no oh born yeah. again baby yeah. tonight, tonight oh. I'm The way of things, and I love keep coming down right on down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Born again, baby tonight. tonight oh.
1: So I just have to say something really quick about this tune. First of all, I it's, it, you know, one of the most beautiful tunes I've ever heard in my life, I'll be honest. Oh, and man. when we, I, uh, you know, I had my um, CD release party, I'm like, I got to learn this tune. And I have to tell you, just about every musician in the band... Like I thought it was pretty straightforward because it's kind of like it's a one two three one two three and you and I've noticed you do that in a couple other tunes, and uh, these guys just couldn't hang they they couldn't they couldn't catch on to it. It was yeah, it, it, it was amazing. It's where you know it changes chords in funny
0: places and you'll know, have a yeah it's basically a six eight right.
1: Mm-hmm. Where can people find you? Your music is listed under your name, Billy Thompson. If people were to Google Billy Thompson, right? Yeah. Uh, Billy
0: Thompson, www.billythompsonmusic.com is my website. Uh, it always has my live dates. They, they do come up there. Um, I have a Reverb Nation page, which is Billy Thompson Band. And um, the only thing is on Spotify. There are numerous Billy Thompsons. So when you go look for me, like a lot of times I'm buried. When I
1: look you up on Apple Music, just under Billy Thompson, boom, it shows you right there. And I recognize you only because you're wearing a black shirt, you're screaming, and you're playing (laughs) guitar. So it's like, that's Billy.
0: The grimacing face. It Uh, looks painful.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're in the zone, man. You're in the zone. Right. Well, Billy Thompson, it's... Always a pleasure to talk, and thank you so much for being a guest on yes, our show Yes, thank you for today. talking to
2: us. Thanks for sharing that hey, great song.
1: It's been so
0: long, man. It's great to see both of you. <laughs> yeah. Chat. All
1: Hopefully right. we Beautiful. can catch up more some more face-to-face time sometime yes that'd be, that'd be super
2: well thanks for listening everybody um if you have any questions or comments for us please feel free to to message us on uh, the instagram or the facebook at what do you know about that and you can also email us at what do you know g at gmail.com thanks everyone for listening have a great rest of your week